Good morning, everyone. Our Bible reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, why don't you turn to it and follow along? Otherwise, it, it will be up on the screen. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Okay, so Christmas and the New Year are over, so we are back in uh, 2 Corinthians. And this week we're going to, sorry, this week and next week, we're going to look at these two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, where Paul tackles the issue of giving and generosity, of money and how we use it. And if you think about it, that is always a bit delicate, isn't it? I mean, talking about money. I mean, I was, um, being English, I was brought up to believe that there are some things that polite people never talk about, okay, one of which is money. The Bible is surprisingly impolite, isn't it? And the Bible is surprisingly un-English, okay, fortunately, because it talks about money a lot. Just think about it. It says stuff like, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Okay, what does that mean? It means that underneath, lying underneath some of the questionable decisions that you and I make in life, lying underneath some of the discontent that we feel in life and we wish life were different, lying underneath some of the arguments that you and I get into is the fact that we want what money offers us just that little bit too much. Plus, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of riches, that money promises us stuff that it can never deliver. 
And in the parable of the sower, Jesus says that that fact, the deceitfulness of riches, the fact that money offers us stuff it cannot deliver, has this, and makes you believe that, has the power to strangle the spiritual life out of you. And then Jesus asks again, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Meaning that you can seemingly have everything that, that money can buy and yet ultimately at the end have absolutely nothing. So money and how we handle it, it's of more than academic interest, isn't it? You know, according to Jesus, anyone who is thoughtful about their spiritual health is going to be thoughtful about money. Which means that the stuff that Paul talks about here is stuff that all of us need to hear, especially if you're English. Okay, so first point then, the beauty of generosity, the beauty of generosity. Okay, look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you think about it, examples are powerful motivators, aren't they? Well, they can be, for good or bad. I mean, maybe you've had a boss, and you've watched how they treat people, and you think, man, I do not want to be like him. Or maybe you've had a teacher or a coach or a boss and you look at how she treats people and you think and you see the positive impact she's having and you think, man, I really do want to be like her. And what Paul is doing is he's taking these Macedonian Christians, the Christians up in Macedonia, and he's using them as examples for, good examples, for the Christians in Corinth. Examples of people who had given sacrificially. Now, one of, talking about examples, one of my uh, favourite Christmas books is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And Dickens describes Scrooge, the main character, as a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had struck out generous fire. Okay, every time I read those words, I think, God, don't let me be like that. Don't let me be like Scrooge. Now, these Macedonians, there was nothing Scrooge-like about them, was there? Okay, these guys were different. And Paul sees in their generosity something beautiful, something exemplary. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, I know it's dangerous to talk about chemistry with a professor of chemistry in the room. Okay, but there are just some chemical reactions that are just dramatic, aren't there? Yeah, I remember as a school kid, secondary school, being spellbound as Mr. Forrest, my chemistry teacher, took a flask of something and he poured it into a flask of something else and clouds of gas and bubbling, boiling liquid poured over. Okay, you never forget something like that. In Macedonia, the setting was not a chemistry lab. The setting was severe affliction. 
And that resulting almost certainly from the persecution they are facing for being Christians. They've been shut out of trade and commerce. And as a result, they are experiencing extreme poverty. That's their setting. But take that extreme poverty, take that material financial poverty that comes with persecution and pour into that the, their abundance of joy, Paul says, the joy that comes from knowing that whatever anyone else is saying about you, you know that God loves you. Or the joy of knowing that whatever the circumstances of your life are like, God has got you safe in, your, in his hands. Take that gospel joy and pour that into severe affliction and persecution and poverty. And what happened there? is that it bubbled over in a wealth of generosity, Paul says. And see how they gave, verse 3. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, when you see someone facing seemingly insurmountable odds and triumphing over them, it's inspiring, isn't it? You know, when you see someone who, for whom... Everything seems to be stacked against them, and you watch them rising to that challenge and overcoming. Whether that's in life or sport or, or war, there is something inspiring about it. And these Christians in Macedonia are suffering intensely. I mean, they had little enough for themselves, Paul is saying, and yet watch them. Watch them as they are raising funds to support their suffering brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, you know, hundreds of miles away, people they have never met and are never likely to meet. Because that's where this offering is going. Verse 4, it's going for the relief of the saints. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain people who have virtually nothing giving away what little excess they had. I mean, if you think about it, when life is going well for you and you are working hard and you're seeing the results of that and you're prospering, it's easy to look down on people for whom that's not the case, isn't it? You know, the shiftless poor. If they just worked harder, okay, if they worked harder, they wouldn't be in that situation. If they worked harder like I work hard. Okay, if they used their money wisely, they wouldn't be in this situation, like I use money wisely. It's easy to look down on people like that when things are going well. But when, like these Macedonians, you are under pressure and every day you face a struggle of just getting through the day, you know that you are not self-made. You know that you are dependent on God and that your life is in his hands. And that, knowing that, experiencing that, that makes you way more compassionate, doesn't it, to those who are also under pressure. So these suffering Christians in Macedonia, verse 4, were begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And when Paul let them take part, they gave according to their means and even beyond their means, he says. Just imagine if we were to do that. And I'm not getting at you, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm speaking to myself as well, okay? Imagine if we were to do that. 
Imagine if all of us here in this room considered it an honour and begged for the opportunity to give and that as a church we gave according to our means. Think of the financial resources that could be released. Think of the gospel spreading in word and deed that we could support here and away from here. Think of the ministry and acts of service that could be multiplied. Our deficit would be wiped out. Our building project would become a reality. Maybe we'd, you know, depending on how one wanted to spend the money, we could maybe fund an additional staff position that increased our outreach, enabled other people to hear the gospel, whether that's to students or to kids or to women or to music ministry. And yet, while generosity in others is inspiring, the truth is, we can struggle to see it take root in our own lives, can't we? We can, we can struggle to see it bubble over. We admire it when we see it in others, and yet we can have a hard time seeing it established in our own lives. Why? Second point then, the barriers to generosity. Generosity is beautiful, but there are barriers to generosity. Okay, and Paul is telling all of this to these Christians in Corinth. He's telling them all about the people up in Macedonia, because he wants them to emulate the Macedonians. And a year ago, clearly, they had started well, verses 10 to 11. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. Okay, it's true, isn't it? Whether it's a DIY project or some paper that you are writing for work or you know, some business deal you're trying to pull together or, or running a race, it's great to start something. It is even better to finish it. And Paul is saying it is exactly the same with giving and generosity. It's good to have the desire to give. It is even better to do it. And down in Corinth, they had started to get a collection together for the suffering church in Jerusalem, but then that collection had stalled. And the question is, is why? Why had it stalled? Well, I think Paul gives us some clues. Okay, firstly, they'd, you know, they'd started, and, but maybe they just never quite got round to it. I mean, Corinth is this happening place. It's this thriving cosmopolitan city. And when life is full... And when life is busy and when you've got loads on your plate, weeks and months can pass, can't they? I mean, you know what that's like. And you meant to get round to making that bank transfer, but it never quite made it to the top of the list. Okay, but then look at verses 11 and 12. So firstly, they never, maybe they never quite got round to it. Then look at verses 11 and 12. Okay, Paul wants them to contribute out of what you have for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay, so while the Christians in Corinth were poor, sorry, while the Christians in Macedonia were poor, the city of Corinth was incredibly rich. And in that culture, socially, money and wealth were seen as markers of reputation. 
And, you know, there's um, archaeological evidence for this. People would make large and public donations to fund things like civic works as a way of enhancing their reputation. You know, John's working on the M M3, John? Yeah, on the M3. Okay, if you were in Corinth, there would be some private benefactor who would fund that, and then a plaque would go up on all the trams and all the stations funded by John Pollard a man of wealth and means. Okay, people would make large and public donations to enhance their reputation because if you can give that much, you really must be something special. And that was the cultural sea that the Christians in Corinth were swimming in. Okay, what effect would that have had on them? What if... By Corinthian standards, you don't have all that much to give. What if financially things were not so great for you at the moment in Corinth? Then you would likely think, well, do you know what? I won't give anything. I, I, won't, I won't give something small and unimpressive because that would reflect badly on me. Now, okay, you and I, we are unlikely to think like that in terms of our reputation, you know, particularly when giving is anonymous. But we might think in terms like that about the gift's worth. That my contribution is going to be so small, if you're a student or if you're unemployed or whatever, my contribution is going to be so small it won't materially affect things. So there's no point in me giving at all. And Paul is saying, no. It's not the absolute value of your gift that matters. It's the readiness with which you give it. We give according to what we have, not to what we don't have. That's what God's looking at. That's what makes it valuable. And besides, if you think about it, I mean, Jesus is a specialist with small gifts, isn't he? And multiplying them. In more than once, Jesus proved himself capable of taking seemingly inadequate offerings and multiplying them for the feeding and the strengthening of a multitude. Okay, but the second effect that this cultural sea might have, that they were swimming in, might have had on them is the desire to hold on. Because if spending power gives you prestige, and enables you to hold your head up and feel good about yourself, why would you give that away in a, in a city that's all about prestige? And in a society without a safety net, why would you risk your future security by giving that security away, especially for people you've never met, especially for people who can't return anything to you? Okay, well, look what Paul writes in verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. You see, the Macedonians giving so generously said something about what they loved most, didn't it? I mean, just think about them up in Macedonia. What do they love? When they are so willing to give so generously and sacrificially, what does that say about their love? It's not their money, is it? And it's not their reputation in the eyes of others, in the eyes of the world. It's not even their financial security. But these Christians in Corinth have stalled on their giving because most likely what money offers them has taken too high a place in their order of loves. Now think how that can work for us. 
Like them, we can see, I mean, I certainly do, okay, we can see money as our security. We feel better about the future if we know there is money in the bank or the pension fund is growing. And, you know, let's just be honest, money does give us a measure of security. It just does. Money is what pays the bills. But it's not our ultimate security. And so it shouldn't be our ultimate love. Okay, but also, like them, money and what we can buy with it can make us feel better about ourselves, particularly in comparison to other people. Because money is what funds our next great holiday or the next great experience. And life is short, and we want to get out of life everything we can. And besides, our friends or our colleagues, they've got the latest gadget, or they visited that great place on holiday. And we can feel the comparison of that. And Paul is saying, yes, but how you use your money has this way of revealing what we love most. Is it God? and his work, and his work in other people's lives? Or is it our security? Is it our comfort? Is it our enjoyment? Is it how we compare to other people? And Paul is asking them to take another look at the order of their loves. Verse 7, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Okay, so there are all of these other areas where these Corinthians are doing good. I mean, not just good, they are excellent. Their level of faith, their preaching and teaching, their passion about their Christian faith. And Paul is saying the fact that you excel in all of these other areas means that there is absolutely no reason why you can't excel in this area of giving as well. In fact, you can. Now again, think about us. Think about the ways, and you know. I mean, you. Ex- I mean, you may not think you do, but you do. Okay, you are in that top whatever percent of the population. You excel in any number of areas. Think about how at work, or at home, or in your studies, you apply yourself. You overcome obstacles. You look for solutions. You succeed. You lead. And Paul is saying, that is a great foundation. And he is saying, that tells you, you, the fact that you can do and excel in all of these areas means that you can also excel in this area of generosity as well. The question is, is how do we get there? How do we see a love for God and his work and a love for others growing, rising in our order of loves and outpacing our desire for security and comfort and enjoyment or reputation? Okay, third and last point, the grace of generosity. It is beautiful, there are barriers to it, but there is the grace of generosity. Okay, just look look at what it was about the Macedonians that so surprised Paul. Okay, they begged to take part. And verse 5, This not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. 
Interesting, isn't it? Before making any bank transfers, okay, before filling out any pink slips, okay, before putting any money in the plate or the bucket, they first gave themselves to Christ as Lord. And that is what can profoundly influence what we do with our money, <clears throat> even especially if it's scarce, if there's little of it to go round. Because when he, when he has our hearts, when we have settled it as individuals, when you've settled it as a couple, if you're married, when if you've got kids and you've talked about this as a, with your kids and you've talked about where your money goes and why you can't do what other people do, when you've settled it in your heart and you've agreed, he's the one we are going to serve, then he'll have our resources because you know he's your Lord. Because when he captures our hearts, everything else, including our money, follows as one commentator puts it, it's always lordship, then stewardship. And guys, think about it. Someone, something, some controlling narrative, some worldview, some sense of what makes the good life, something is going to be your lord, isn't it? Some controlling narrative, something is going to determine how you use your resources. And for the Macedonians, it was Jesus. And their generosity was simply an overflow of their commitment to him. And if you think about it, that is the hallmark of genuine Christianity. I mean, how do you tell, how do you know that something is genuinely gold or silver? That it's a real deal? You look for those little imprints, don't you? You look for the hallmarks that tell you this is it. This is the real thing. This is gold. And radical, sacrificial giving of yourself to the Lord and then to others, those are the hallmarks of genuine Christianity that tell you, this is it. My saviour took up his cross for me. I take up my cross for him. Not, does this work for me? Is this convenient for me? What am I going to get out of this? But the heartfelt responded to call to give yourself away for Christ and for others because he's your Lord. Now, why would you want to do that? And in particular, why would you want to give up control of your life and control of your money to him? Answer, because he gave up everything for you. Because while the Macedonians are great examples, the supreme example is Christ himself. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I mean, the Macedonians are inspirational because they were poor but gave. Christ was rich. He was rich beyond all our imagining. And talk about reputation. Think of his reputation. He is the focus of heaven's adoration. Angels before whom we would quake fall down before him in worship. And talk about security. He dwelt in unassailable total security. But he gave it all up 
to become a man, to be despised and rejected and crucified. For what? For you. For me. And he did it when we could offer him nothing, when we were spiritually in the gutter. And he became poor, not just the poverty of the stable, not even the poverty of, you know, of a manual laborer, but the crushing poverty of the cross, as first his friends and then even his heavenly father turned his face away. As he bore our poverty upon himself. And he did it to make us rich. So that you can know, man, I am loved by God. My sins are forgiven. God, the creator of the universe, smiles upon me. More than that, he sings over me. He delights in me. And he works all of my circumstances, even the times when resources are tight. He works them for my good. I am utterly secure in him. And it is out of that richness that we have in Christ that we can give. It's why Paul keeps on coming back to this word grace throughout the passage. Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. They were, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favour, literally the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Verse 7, as you excel in everything, excel in this act of grace also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, because when you have been on the receiving end of Christ's grace to you, grace begins to take a hold of your heart, doesn't it? And you just become more gracious. You welcome others because you know he's welcomed you. You forgive others because you know he's forgiven you. You love him and others because you know he has first loved you when you were unlovely. And you give because he gave everything for you. And you know what Christ, the only one whose opinion really matters, thinks of you. So you don't need to bolster your reputation or how you compare to others by how you use your money. And you know that the life to come will be infinitely better than this life. And it's going to be free of charge. Okay, so you don't need to let the fear of missing out or the need to squeeze every drop out of this life control you in this life. But it also answers why you might want to hold on to your money for security. Okay, look at verse 15, because Paul is quoting Exodus and the account of God providing manna in the desert. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And the manna, the manna in the desert, was the proof to the people of Israel, even in the desert, even when there are no resources, God will take care of you. And if they tried to hoard it, because they didn't trust him to provide the next day, it rotted. But as they trusted him to provide their daily bread, everyone had enough. And then Jesus comes and says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the true manna. I'm the one who can satisfy your deepest needs. So trust me. Find your security in me and know that I will never let you down. And as you do, 
as we do, we will find the freedom to use our resources to meet the needs of others and discover his supply never fails. Okay, so at the start of this year, let's let the grace of Christ sink into our hearts and let's learn and grow and excel in the grace of giving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.